Claudia is a sought-after career coach for women in tech, and she's helped her clients land fulfilling jobs at a senior level. She also partners with companies and organizations in identifying rising stars within their organizations and providing strategic insights and support in developing a leadership and talent pipeline with a focus on women and women of color. Due to her efforts, she's worked with top Fortune 500 clients, has partnered with World Business Chicago in developing a workforce development strategy in coordination with the city of Chicago's efforts in decreasing unemployment rates for persons of color. You are going to love today's conversation. This was some really good tips and insight and feedback for myself, and I think you'll find the same. Hope you enjoy it and share it with a friend. Hey, welcome to the Wine After Work podcast. This is your host, Bryce Batts. I'm a career coach, mom of two girls, former college cheerleader, and current encourager of women. I'm so grateful you're here. It's my mission to help women break through the glass ceiling, rise up, and step into their greatness. Now grab a glass of wine and settle in. Hey, Claudia. Thanks for having on the podcast today. I'm so happy to be here, especially with some of the topics we're discussing today. I know. I'm so excited. Your bio is so impressive. And um, we found out just earlier that you were both in the Raleigh area. I thought you were still in Chicago, but you've moved somewhere slightly warmer. (laughs) Although this week we were saying it's been so rainy. It's terrible. Yes, definitely uh, rainy, but still, like I said, it's way better than the negative 10 degrees Chicago right now is experiencing and the snow. Yeah, I I couldn't handle it for sure. (laughs) Well, tell us how you became a career coach and how you're helping ladies in the tech industry. Well, I definitely never heard about a career coach when I was growing up. So it's not like something you go and major in college and then you end up a career coach. But live led me to be a career coach now. But I would say that a lot of the strategies that I've learned is mostly because I consider myself a very career-driven, very ambitious person. So I found myself, you know, doing everything you're supposed to do in college, you know, getting good grades and getting internships and networking. And all of a sudden, you know, once you graduate, you're going to have so many job offers and or interviews. And unfortunately, I found myself with one interview. Mm. And... Thankfully, they offered me the job, but it was, you know, shame, guilt, embarrassment, feeling helpless. So that's when I made a point to figure out how can I learn to advance in my career? Because clearly everything that I did wasn't enough to get me all these interviews that I was expecting. So that's when I really kind of, you know, went on a journey. It took me over five years to figure out how to hack it for myself. And I worked with other career coaches and professional resume writers. And I read books and I did attended workshops. I networked with people. And at least for me, it finally clicked when I started my business on the side as a virtual admin. So a lot of my career strategies are based on business principles because at the end of the day, we're looking to get hired by businesses. And even if it's a nonprofit, it is still a business. And Mm -hmm. even in the education system, that is still a business. And that's when I really see very, you know, my, where I've been able to get disproportionate results as well as my clients. And I was able to pay her from finance to education, to healthcare, to healthcare tech. And every single time received at least a 30K salary increase. And I was probably around 30% qualified for the role, but I still landed the job and I was still successful in those positions. 
So you are your own success story, your own yes. best testimonial. <laughs> yeah. So that's how I, I you know I learned how to do it. And then others asked me, how did I do it? And now fast forward now, it's been over eight plus years now being a career coach. And now that I've learned more about my business, I'm able to gain even more experience on how to use in the careers. And you know, Mike, like I said, I did it my own self, but I'm a better coach. <laughs> Because some of my clients have received even up to $140,000 in additional earned income. Wow, that's crazy. Super impressive. And, I, you know, something you said was even if you were only 30% qualified for the position, you still applied and took the interview and in the end got the position. And I think that's a key takeaway for women because most times... It's only the men that are applying if they hit, you know, 60% of the markers. And meanwhile, women think I've got to hit 90% or I'm not going to apply. I'm not capable of doing this job. Mm -hmm. Do you see that a lot with women you work with? Oh, yes, definitely. And I work with like women in tech. So they're typically in managers or director level roles. And they'll look at a job post and they'll say, oh, I don't have this and I don't have this experience. And one of the things that I tell them is, well, good. That means you have some skills you can learn in that role. Because mostly a lot of my clients, they're looking to feel challenged. They feel like they're stagnating in their career. They're not feeling fulfilled. So if we follow the same principle of, well, we need to be 90 to 100% qualified based on the job description, well, then what is there for you to stagnate? I mean, you're still going to be stagnating your career because there's, what well, you learned a 10%. And right. maybe you learned that in the next three, six months. So good, healthy, at least that I recommend for my clients is to have at least 30, 40% of the job description that you don't know. And then that means that you're going to have something to learn. You're going to advance in your career. You're going to be sharpening those skills. And that way you're not falling behind. And again, that gives you that area where you want to learn and then things that you can learn. But that's honestly how I, I help them and really help them understand. And I have like this exercise where I have them highlighting green all the skills they do have. And that should take about 30%. Then in yellow, maybe okay. some skills that maybe they kind of know or maybe they took a class, but they never feel confident or in doing it or leading it, but they have a good foundational knowledge. And then highlight in red all the skills they don't have. And again, the skills that they don't have, it should be around 30 to 40%. Mm, and if that. you have that, then it's a good, healthy amount to say, all right, here's a job that's going to advance myself in my career. I have a lot of areas of opportunity. I'm going to be learning a lot of these things and I can spend the next, you know, three or so years learning it because that should be at least the average, in my opinion, when it comes to those top and level positions. And that way, once they're ready to move to the next step in the career, they've already have armed themselves with these competitive skill sets. I like that approach. And I feel like as a job seeker, that would give me confidence in knowing not, I don't know 30%. Instead, I know 70% of what this job will take, you know, for me to be successful at it. And look, I've done all of these things that are highlighted in green and yellow. And so I'm prepared. Mm -hmm. I can do this. Do you see a lot of women coming into tech from other industries or are they primarily in tech just looking to move up? I would say 60% of my clients are in tech. All the other 40 are looking to break into tech. Okay. And there's always this misconception. Oh, I don't know if I'll be able to tech or I'll have to take a step back to move into the tech industry. And I work with women in tech that are both in technical and non-technical roles. And, you know, tech companies still need a marketing. They still need accounting. They still need finance. They still need all these other non-technical roles. So that just happens to be an industry. And same thing with my technical clients. Sometimes they're like, well... 
I've been in tech for so many years, but you know, I really love the health and wellness side, or you know, I love gaming and I want I would love to work at a company like PlayStation. Well, those companies still have you know technical people. It's not like it's a brick and mortar, and even brick and mortar that only accepts cash, right? So then they can start pivoting and say, like, it's all about how we tell the story. Because at the end of the day, you understand business principles and you understand how once you know the process and the outcome, how to build these systems or how to create this process that can be applied towards any industry. It just happens to be a tech industry or it just happens to be in the finance industry and or education. Right. Okay. So I was going to ask you if you pull out those transferable transferable skills to help them move over. And it sounds like you do highlight those things because of course there are skills that are going to be needed no matter what industry you're in. Exactly. And help them draw those parallels from where they're coming from to where they're going. Yeah. And one of the things that I've done is find adjacent industries. So for example, Maybe my client works at ADP, a company like that. Well, let's look at who does ADP serve? So sometimes they might say, well, I work at ADP and some of our verticals could be healthcare, finance, education. Well, then because you've tied to that point, we can say, now that's your competitive advantage. We can say, I used to work at ADP. So I know how the system is configured. And I can make sure that with the integration with how your company is set up, we can set ourselves up for success. And because I know your programs that you've worked on, there's actually some capabilities that can help us, you know, increase revenue or, or increase productivity or decrease, you know, cost. And again, that is a competitive advantage versus saying, I don't have experience in this. Please give me an opportunity. I'm willing to take a step back or a salary cut, which has not been the case yet for any of my clients. Yeah, that's great. Well, I love how you said you have to package the story. And that's exactly what you're doing with your resume, maybe a cover letter, your LinkedIn. You know, are you advising your clients to use cover letters still or are they making connections really through LinkedIn and kind of telling their story that way? I have them follow a three-prong approach. So they are applying to jobs with a resume and a cover letter. They're optimizing their LinkedIn profile. So LinkedIn starts generating them interviews. Mm-hmm. And third is I have them network to make sure, again, we're multiplying our opportunities. So overall, I have them use all these three. And I would say the networking probably generates at least 85% of the interviews where oh, I have clients good. generate anywhere between three to seven interviews in a week. Plus, they're getting requests from LinkedIn. One of the biggest complaints my clients have is I have too many interviews that I have to decline a few just because it's too many. But then they feel in control to say, well, I can, I'm willing to take these interviews and these I'm just going to parking lot or ignore for the time being just because I have enough in my pipeline. And to your question, when it comes to cover letters, I still recommend cover letters. I know most of the time they don't get read. And, you know, I even had some recruiters saying, you know, I don't care about cover letters and I don't even read them. So I don't think they should submit them. But my philosophy is I don't know who that recruiter or sourcer is or the hiring manager. And I don't want my clients to, you know, lose an opportunity because maybe they got that one person that, you know, is going to judge them whether they submitted a cover letter. So my philosophy is let's mitigate risk and how can we ensure success for the overall population. We cannot base it off on a few handful of people. Exactly. You don't know who's going to read the cover letter and maybe they see something in it that sets you apart. And so they do call you or they call you first for that interview. Yeah. And I've had recruiters and hiring managers tell me, you know, how they source for some of these 
you know, interviews or who they're bringing up is, you know, on average, there's 250 applicants for one job posting. Mm. There's clearly, you're not going to read 250 resumes. So they'll just toss out all the resumes that don't have a cover letter. So that brings it down to half. And then they, you know, they try to look to see, you know, can they connect the dots on why they're a good fit? That takes another, you know, 30, 40%. Then they narrowed it down to like the top 10 to 15 so that is a big disqualifier for some recruiters still to this day. And even for these big Fortune 500 companies, just to make the process easier. And the assumption is, well, if you didn't spend time on a cover letter, well, while this candidate did, well, this candidate wants this job more than this person. Therefore, they're disqualified. And I love your three-prong approach. And in phase three or step three, and when they're networking, is this primarily done on LinkedIn or are they doing in-person networking as well? Most of them are doing uh, through LinkedIn. Now, some are able already have a network where they can leverage that. And I would say 30, 40% already have a network. The other 60%, they either have a network and just don't want to tap into it or their current coworkers and they just don't feel comfortable, uh, whatever their position is. And I have in my career coaching, like step-by-step instructions on how to network, whether you have a network already or you don't. And if you don't, here's the scripts and templates to guide you to identify who you need to work, network with, what to say to connect with them, what to say to get on a call with them, what questions to ask them during those networking sessions. Then here's a follow-up email you can send to them just so that way you're maintaining that relationship. And then also how to systematize that follow-up in order you know, for you to increase your opportunities. Because what tends to happen is when they're networking, they might say, you know what, Bryce, I think you're great. Why don't you send over your resume? And, you know, I'm going to have a rec open in the next few weeks. Or let me send it to my counterpart who is hiring. And I think you'd be great for the role. And then you start building those relationships. And now they become mentors or friends or advocates within the organization. Yeah. And having too many interviews is always a great problem to have as a candidate because it does put you in the driver's seat. And I think as the candidate, it gives you a lot of confidence. You know, you're able to say, okay, well, these are the clients that or companies that I really want to interview with and these not as much. And you can put them on the back burner and go after who you're really interested in rather than having one interview and just hoping it's a fit. Yes. Yeah, I do recruiting for the AEC industry, and we find that a lot of our candidates are in that same position where they have too many interviews. And of course, we want them to be able to see every company, but at some point, you have to be able to narrow it down. And to me, that tells me the candidate knows what they want, which is super helpful. Um, and they've got an idea of what direction they want to go in. So, you know, it's less time wasted, too, with exactly. them trying to figure that out. Yes. AEC is highly male dominated, as I believe tech is as well. So are you working with a lot of women and how do you get women in the right roles so they can move up into a leadership position? Well, first is really understanding and assessing what is it that they want. Just because they've been in the manager position, some of them might say, you know, I don't want to move into the director position. And it's really understanding the why. Because there's always a misconception of the higher I go up in the career ladder, then the more I have to step away from my family or the more that I'm going to be losing of my, you know, work-life balance. And what I've seen is, you know, I've, you know, I worked with women in executive roles and they still are able to see their family as much as that manager or that individual contributor. But it's really understanding what are their career goals? um, What is happening currently in their life? You know, maybe they're taking care of a loved one and they just don't have the capability, you know, to be learning an extra 30, 40% just because right now that's their focus. 
So it's really understanding where they are in the career, what are they looking to achieve? And of that, what is that lifestyle that they want in the next five to 10 years? And that helps us assess, all right, well, it sounds like you've already been doing the manager role and more of a director at this point. So actually, we might actually go after senior director positions. And I know we how to brand that and put that in the resume cover letter, but you're ready for those roles. Now, the question is, do you want it? Does this fit with what you're doing? And a lot of them, I know, a little bit scared or they might not feeling as confident making that leap. But that's something we can work with during our session. But it's really understanding here's where you should be and here's where you can be. And along with everything you're looking for, it seems like to be a good fit. So now let's launch this strategy to get you into that role. And sometimes it might be one or two leaps above. Mm, I love that. And how do you think companies, you know, build a leadership and talent pipeline for women and women of color? It's really, it all comes down to systems. Systems dictate behavior. So if a company is looking to move more women into senior leadership roles, it's really understanding and auditing, you know, what is their makeup right now within the company? What are their hiring practices? And at each level, um, there's a report survey that McKinsey does women in the workplace. And the most recent one in 2022, it shows that um, men and women tend to be hired at the same rate, but get promoted differently. So for every 100 promotions a man gets, there's around 86 women getting promoted and about 82 women of color getting promoted. Therefore, as we continue moving up in the career ladder, it almost creates a 75% drop in women in these roles because they're not getting promoted at the same rate as men. So the question is, why are they not getting promoted? Is there biases that are happening when it comes to these roles? Why, you know, what is the makeup and the percentage right now at all different levels? Or is there accountability? What are the hiring practices? And then how can we build a structure around it? And also even mentorship. A lot of companies that I've, you know, some of them that I've worked with and a lot of my clients they're looking to hire externally for a director role when they already have the talent pool. Mm. So why are we looking externally and why don't we create these opportunities for advancement right now for your current employees, especially if they've been performing at or above the level where they should be. So why are we not creating these opportunities and advocating for them? Now, I do have a belief that the company has a responsibility to do that, but also the employee needs to have the responsibility. You need to be able to communicate. You need to be able to sell yourself. You need to be able to have these conversations and not expect to be given these opportunities. Because if you want it, you have to ask for it and you have to prepare for it. So it's really a teamwork effort from both parties. Yeah, I could not agree with that more because companies, sometimes they're looking for people to step up. You know, they need a director level person and they're just waiting for an employee to step up. So it's great to have that open line of communication, whether it's through one-on-ones or you just, uh, you know, call for a private meeting or prepare some presentation to show your employer, this is where I would like to see myself because a lot of times, unless you ask for it or unless you say it, they don't know. They don't know what your goals are. You know, within our company, we try to do one-on-ones or we do one-on-ones every week. So that's a great time to talk about those things. But oftentimes, you know, they're still not brought up. And it's like, this is your chance to, to tell your employer what you need, how they can help you and or what they can improve upon. Yeah. And I would even add to that is one communicating because sometimes not like I mentioned, not everyone wants to be promoted. And if you have a team team of 10, 15, you cannot promote 15 people and not all of those people can get promoted. So it's one, 
letting them know you want to get promoted. What does it take to get promoted? Because certain companies have certain benchmarks you need to check off in order to do that. And then third is really understanding like, how can you start positioning yourself and building that business case on why you're the perfect fit above everyone else? So it involves the storytelling in that person, the employee, figure out their research to say, you know, in the past 12 months, here's what I've accomplished. Here's what I've done. Here's what our, our clients had to say. I've been, you know, getting high prices from internally and externally. And one of our biggest contracts that brings in at least 30% of the company's revenue. Again, it comes from storytelling because if we don't remember what we did six months ago, mm-hmm. our manager is not going to remember. And especially everything that we've done for the past 12 months or above. I agree with that. And I tell my clients or, or, you know, coaching clients that I work with, keep a folder of your wins, whether that's digitally or, you know, just a good old manila folder that you put things in just so you can remember. Because again, if, if you know, if you don't remember, how's anyone else going to remember that it happened? Exactly. And how do you think companies can support and advocate for um, females within their company to rise to leadership? Mm-hmm. Well, they can create like a leadership pipeline program where they can say, you know, either managers, they identify someone in their department who has these leadership skills and it would be great for training, or they can advocate for themselves to say, hey, I want to raise my hand. Because again, there might be introverts and extroverts where not everyone always feels confident in raising their hand. Right. So having that two-part approach and then seeing like, what are the skill sets they need in order to move forward and helping them you know, partner with a mentor within the organization that's high above that is actually there to be a mentor and not just say, yeah, I'm a mentor, but I barely talk to you and I'm always busy and you're just not as important. Because I've had organizations even that I worked at where leadership in my mind is there to not only make sure the company is successful, but making sure we're building a very robust talent in order to move up within the company. And there are times where like, we're too busy. We're not mentoring anyone. And if that's the case, well, then that's a company culture problem. Uh-huh. That's a leadership problem. You should not be hiring leaders that are not willing to invest in your own company's employees. Right. So it's really having that understanding of creating that mentorship, that support, what is needed, um, letting them know a little bit more of like those rotational programs where they let you know the entire process of the company. So that way they have a better understanding. And then also, it could also be around hiring practices. There are some companies where they'll say, we need to have at least 50% of candidates be women or from underrepresented groups in order for everyone to be even get access to all the talent pool of people that have applied to the jobs. Well, they can go another step further to say, we've actually gone and sourced a lot of this talent and we meet that 50%. And we want to make sure that we have a diverse group of leaders because when we have a diverse group of leaders, that's when we start seeing the benefits. And data shows that when you have at least 30%, and there needs to be at least 30% of women in leadership roles, that's when companies can see at least a 7% to 10% profitability increase. Oh, wow. Plus, it increases um, innovation, patents, it mitigates risk when you have a very diverse group of individuals within your leadership and board. So not just that one token person that's in that leadership role, it needs to be at least 30% to see true results. And then having that in mind, all of a sudden it creates all these opportunities and you'll start seeing more women and groups of from other, you know, underserved communities being those roles. Because again, it's great for business. 
it mitigates risk, it increases profitability. And I think it almost creates a $28 trillion market when we start having these diverse individuals within leadership roles. Wow. Business owners, listen up. <laughs> hire <laughs> hire the, uh, the women and, and make sure you have a diverse workforce, especially in leadership. Gosh, who wouldn't want that? I mean, we all want to make more money, increase profitability, increase revenue. So that's incredible. Exactly. Um, I just listened to an economist yesterday talk about our local economy, and he touched on Cary, Raleigh, and then the national economy as well. And, um, you know, I was kind of was making some predictions towards the end, just based on everything he's seen that, you know, maybe just a mild recession, the last third and fourth quarter of the year. I mean, no one wants to talk about the big R word, but I think hearing it's going to be mild and a quick bounce back is great. You know, what trends are you seeing in tech? Because I think tech makes the news and it's like, oh, tech's laying off, tech's laying off, what's happening? But, you know, tech makes up a... I think it's 3% of the job force. And then it's an even smaller portion of tech companies that are laying off. But of, of course, you know, this is a whole nother soapbox, but I think the news tries to scare us. Of um, so of course, they're feeding us all the bad news. <laughs> so what are you seeing as someone who's really, you know, boots on the ground and, and entrenched in that industry? Definitely media has done a great job in scaring people. And one of the things, again, I always like to rely on data. So I actually looked at the unemployment rate as of December of 2022, and it's around a 3.4%. It's actually the lowest it has ever been. So that's why I tell my clients, stop listening to the news because we know it can be very triggering, especially on LinkedIn. Oh, I got laid off. I got laid off. I'm still been unemployed, been over there for a year. And I said, let's focus on the data itself. Unemployment rates are low. There's over, at least in December, there was over 10 million jobs available. And there was more jobs available than job seekers. Then there are industries that thrive during a recession. Let's focus on those. You know, I love to say the example, liquor. Liquor thrives during a recession. (laughs) And that's just a prime example of, you know, other industries we can focus on. Yeah, tech is being impacted. There is a change happening, especially with AI, um, where I do feel that it is going to be impacting jobs. So... If they're, and one of the things that when I read, same thing, it was something similar to predictions is because of AI, especially the release of chat GPT, it is going to be lowering opportunities for marketing, copywriters, and probably journalists. And it's already replacing those types of jobs where when you had a team of 15 people, now you can do well enough with a team of three, just because you can leverage AI to really speed up the process. So if those are kind of like their current backgrounds, I would say start building additional skill sets because in the next few years, there might be another skew of that specific population or those specific professions that the opportunities are going to go lower. I mean, that's just kind of like the predictions happening, but I like to focus on data, what is happening. And there's always companies and businesses making money during a recession. Let's focus on those. Let's get hired in those. And then that's when you can continue moving up your career. I agree. The data doesn't lie. And millionaires are made in a recession. So I think there's always opportunities if you are there to seek them out. And things are always changing. I mean, that's the world we live in now. And things change so quickly. So I think it's like you said, just being nimble and being able to pick up other um, skills and what are your transferable skills that can help you pivot into you know, a similar industry or parallel industry. Mm-hmm. Well, you've given us so many great tips, um, but as we wrap up, uh, you know, give me a couple 
just things you want to leave us with. Your three-prong approach was so incredible. Um, anything you want to leave job seekers with or women who are looking to step up you know, into leadership? Well, one of the things that I've been hearing now is, well, maybe I should hold off on my job search right now because of what's happening. And it might be either too competitive or I'll just wait for things to, you know, the economy to go back up. And my advice to them is, well, what if you had done this a year ago when there was a great resignation, companies were giving out money. I mean, it was retention bonus, sign-on bonus, bonus based on performance. Here's some RSUs and here's your salary. And again, you waited on that moment, but had you been ready, you could have taken advantage of that rise and that salary increase that a lot of companies were offering. So now if you're staying now and saying, well, because I didn't, let me just wait. It's going to be too late when the economy starts picking back up. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things that I've been seeing, and I've been talking to hiring managers and recruiters, of like I like to keep a good pulse. And they're saying, well, there's people reaching out to them and they already have people in mind for opportunities once they get those recs open. So they can say like, hey, you know, you can hire for this person. They might not even open up to the public. They might just say, Bryce, you know, I, we had a call. I, I know you'd be a perfect for this role. Why don't we bring you in and we have you meet with the VP and then we can make this official. Because, yeah. I mean, like I said, it's very competitive out there, especially with these job applications. So if you are you know you want to leave and you want to start your job search, start now. Because that's when you can start networking, planting the seeds, working on your resume and cover letter. So that way, when the economy starts opening back up, you've already been ahead of the game. You've already planted yourself in these opportunities. And you don't want to be left with what's left in some of those jobs or at least some of these companies that may be toxic. So definitely don't wait, start now and get ahead of the game so that way you can handpick those opportunities. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And do you think people can be too persistent in their follow-up or too aggressive in you know, trying to get their resume out there before a position even opens up? Yeah, I would say there's an art to doing it. I mean, I've had people where they approach me and they're just being too pushy and too rude where I feel like a lot of us have experienced that. It's like, all right, you're being too much. Like but, read the room. <laughs> exactly. It's like, review my resume and do this. It's like, okay, you need to build a relationship. And I teach my clients how to build relationships within a week or two, but we can even deepen those relationships and even spread those relationships because one person can connect us to 10 people. And that can take, you know, two weeks for each those 10 people. That's already, you know, we've already had two, three months. But again, now we've created three opportunities or five opportunities out of that one person we networked with. So there is an art to networking, not being too pushy, hot, know when to, you know, follow up with them, what is happening. And people have lives. They, they're not sometimes not trying to be rude. They just haven't responded to you because not everyone's on LinkedIn. Usually... I'm on LinkedIn all the time, but I know that I am my too. job seekers, they'll say my clients, well, I haven't updated my LinkedIn in 10 years and actually doesn't even show my last three jobs. Oh. That I've had. <laughs> so now they're opening up their LinkedIn. So there are very multiple variables. That's why you need time because on average, at least for my clients, for every 10 people, they connect and reach out, they get around three to four responses. So that's after that, it's a, it's a numbers game. Yeah. And I think most people want to help, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of to that point, like those other six people. I mean, one of the things that my clients deal with is a year or two two years later, they might say, oh, yeah, Bryce, I know you reached out to me. Are you still about a year ago? Do you still need help? I'm sorry. I'm really on LinkedIn. So there's still people that want to help. They're just not on LinkedIn enough. 
And those three, four other people, they might not even be on their LinkedIn yet, or they're just too busy for whatever, you know, maybe happening in their life. But like you said, most people want to help if you're asking the right way and you're still being considerate of the person's time and how you're asking it as well. Well, and like you said, it's a numbers game and don't take it personally. You're not going to hear back from everyone. But then, then again, you may hear back from them a year later. <laughs> I, I know I've messaged people on LinkedIn and then um, looked back and I'm like, oh, it's been a year and a half. I didn't hear from them. I'm going to message them again. You know, yeah. maybe they'll see it this time. Who knows? Exactly. Um, well, Claudia, you're amazing. Uh, if people want to get in touch with you, if they're needing help with their job search or their resume or LinkedIn or networking or all of the above, how can they find you? They can find me on my website, ClaudiaTMiller.com. Also on LinkedIn, you can just search Claudia T. Miller or my Instagram handle is at Claudia T. Miller. So Perfect. they can, that's where I share a lot of free career advice as well. Oh, good. All right. Awesome. Well, I myself am going to connect with you in all those places. Uh, you've got it down pat and I can see how you're a huge asset to all of your clients. Well, yeah, thank, thank you so Claudia. much for having me. Yeah, this has been so fun. I could talk to you forever and ever. <laughs> I know. We could talk about this topic for days. <laughs> Seriously. Thanks so much. You have a great day. Thanks. You too. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you back here next week. And make sure to share the episode with a friend that would enjoy the conversation we just had. Also, join the Wine After Work Facebook group to connect with other like-minded women.